you know, it's been funny. You start a message series and you just think it's another message series. And suddenly, somewhere in the mix of it, you find yourself living it out and walking it out in a very tangible, practical way day by day. So last week, we entered into this message series talking about uh, the handbook of spiritual warfare, the handbook of spiritual warfare. And what I wanted us to look at when we talk about spiritual warfare is not so much the context of what we would know and understand as spiritual warfare, some things that, you know, in the church, when you say spiritual warfare, you think of demons and hell, and yet we, we, we stand on scripture and we pray and we prophesy, and all of those things are 100% true. But what I've often found in, in, in my own personal life is I can be doing all of those things right, but have a hard attitude that's wrong that's keeping me from breakthrough, and then wondering why I'm not seeing God move like I would want him to move. And I'm doing, on paper, the big, the big things. So what I wanted to do during this series is take a look at some of the small, tangible things that sometimes we miss when it comes to spiritual warfare, but nevertheless, they are powerful weapons that work. Amen? So what I want to start off by saying today is that none of the weapons of our warfare are weapons of willpower. All right? None of the weapons of our warfare are weapons of willpower, meaning that we're not called to fight the devil in our own strength. Like, if I could, you know, pray hard enough, or if I, you know, can wield the sword of the Spirit good enough, or like, you know, he's, God never called us to muster up in our own strength the ability to fight the devil. How I many you know that? It's tempting, to, to try to feel like you have this performance-based thing where you're, you're trying to fight the adversary in your own strength. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, we are never called to fight out of our own willpower. Amen? Amen? What we do have are spiritual weapons that help us stand in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. Everybody say, already won. So we have spiritual weapons that help us stand in victory. So God doesn't give us weapons to fight a devil who's already been defeated. But he gives us weapons to stay in the place of freedom that he's already provided for us at the cross. So when we approach spiritual warfare, again, it's not, well, I got to drive the devil out. I got to, you know defeat him. He's already been defeated. All that I have to do is, you ever play that game when you're growing up king of the hill, you know, and you just kind of, you know, push your adversary because you got to maintain the high spot. That's all really, as a believer, what I'm called to do, maintain the high ground, maintain my place and position that Christ has called me to and not allow the enemy or an adversary or, or a foe to convince me of anything less than complete, complete victory in Jesus. Are you with me this morning? So this is a foundational principle when we begin to talk about things like spiritual warfare. Understand that we're, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory, and we are fighting to maintain the victory that God has already provided for us. So it's by his grace that we defend ourselves from the winning side, from the winning position. Guys, I think that's where I put my pack, so I'm going to move it. Sorry. So the spiritual weapon I want us to look at today is an unusual weapon. The unusual weapon which is called joy. Joy. How many of you know joy is a spiritual weapon? I know it got quiet in here because you go to a charismatic Pentecostal church and we happen to be a very intense people, right? We worship intense, we pray intense, we live intense, we love intense, and all of that is good. But sometimes in our intensity, we often will forget that God's called us to live in complete joy. And there comes a time where you've done everything else, and now it's time to use the spiritual weapon of choosing to stand in unmovable joy. Do you know, and I think I said this to you last week, but there was the girl who followed some of the disciples around shouting that these, these are the men of God, these are the prophets of God, so much so that they turned around and cast a demon out of her. 
And what was funny about the situation is she wasn't wrong. She was speaking truth. But what it was set up to do was to so wear down the, the apostles that they couldn't do what God had called them to do. They were so worn down by her tormenting, screaming that these are men of God, these are men of God. And sometimes what the enemy will try to get you to do is fight so hard that it wears you down. Pray and petition so long that it wears you down. What do you mean? You can overpray? I believe so. Why? Because the Bible says that when we pray, if we believe in our heart, it's already a done matter. It's already done. Right? That's where our faith level kicks in that says, all right, I've already taken this situation to God. I've already presented it to him. Now, either he's God and he's working on it or he's not. And my repeated petitioning to God isn't going to change God's mind. He either said yes, no, or not now. Those are the only three answers you will get from God. And sometimes we didn't like one of the answers, so we keep petitioning, trying to get God to change his mind. Or we try to make it happen in our own strength and then say God did it for us, like Israel did when they wanted a king. So yeah, the enemy can get us into this place where his goal and his assignment, if he can't get us to get away from prayer, if he can't get us to get away from worship, if he can't get us to back down in our faith, then what he'll try to do is he'll try to use those very weapons to wear us down. Now you're not living life to its fullness. You can't even come out of the prayer closet because you're so convinced that if you stop praying for a minute, all of heaven's going to fall apart. Wow. How many of you know God's bigger than that? Amen. So there comes a time in the life of a believer when you're... Uh, engaging in spiritual warfare where you say, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've petitioned, I've worshiped, I've done everything that I know to do. So at this point, I'm going to count it done by the hand of God and I'm going to choose to live in joy. And joy will be my spiritual weapon. And when the enemy comes screaming in my ear, it's not going to work. It's going to fall apart. You need to get back to works-based performance. You need to do something else to make this happen. Nope. I'm living in joy. I'm choosing joy. All right. Seems like you need a little bit more foundation this morning for you shout me down. So the Bible says that the joy of the Lord happens to be your strength. Isn't that interesting? That he says your strength is in direct correlation with your level of joy. No wonder we feel worn down. No wonder we're stressed out. No wonder we're tired. No wonder it just seems like everything is a weight and a burden on us. Why? Your strength is in direct correlation with your joy. So I want to talk about this scripture for a minute and see what it looks like in context. Because the scripture is very interesting. It actually comes from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And here's what it said. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and spend... And and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So what does it mean to have joy as a weapon, and how do we apply it to our life? How do we see that the joy of the Lord gives us strength? I think we find it when we look at the context of this scripture. We talked about this a little bit last week, and, and again, there's just more truth to be found in it. But Nehemiah 8.10 is actually right in the middle of Nehemiah going back to the ruined cities of Jerusalem and working to rebuild its walls, to rebuild the temple, to everything that the enemies had taken and destroyed and, and broken apart. It's now their job to rebuild and they battled disappointment, they battled depression, because their most prized place was wrecked and ransacked. So eventually, Nehemiah gathered all the leaders together, and he called for a public reading of God's word. And at the end of that, that's when Nehemiah looked at the people and said, listen, listen, don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged, because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I love that. I love that. It was in the face of an obstacle that in their own strength, they could not rebuild. 
out of their own might, they could not do what God had called them to do. Come on. And the temptation would have been to, to lean in, to, to stress yourself out, to, to be overwhelmed, to, you know, try to figure everything out, stay up at night, try to plan. Do we have any, any control freaks in the house a little bit? And, you know, because the control freaks are looking at, like, the worshipers, like, what's wrong with you? Right? Yeah. You know, but we have some control freaks, people like me, who are like, well, we got we to get a blueprint. We got to get a plan. We got to figure out how we're going to rebuild this wall. We, gotta, we just got to figure this out. We have just a few days to do this, this thing. But in the process, Nehemiah says, stop what you're doing. Throw a feast. Have a party. Because the joy will be the strength that you need to perform the impossible. Dare I say, they would never have been able to see the plan of God fulfilled in their life had they not chosen in that moment to throw a party and celebrate what God was doing, to celebrate that they were back in the land again, to celebrate that they were called to rebuild, even though it looked impossible, even though it looked insurmountable, right in the face of the adversary. He says, listen, celebrate because the joy is what will cause you to get victory in your life. Joy is what will push you to the other side. Joy is what will cause you to be elevated above your problem. Don't underestimate the power of joy. Don't underestimate when the enemy tries to overwhelm you. Sometimes you have to make a decision. If it's costing me my peace and it's costing me my joy, then it's not from God because God has not called me to live stressed out, broken out, busted out. He's called me to live in peace. He's called me to live in joy. So I rest. And I have joy. I choose to celebrate. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Now, here's the thing. The people didn't feel happy. They didn't feel like celebrating. They felt depressed. They felt discouraged. But here's where the rubber meets the road. They could not confuse joy Joy from the Lord with a feeling of their flesh. Oh, there you are. You're always up here shouting me down. Now you're back there. You all got me messed up, Paula. <laughs> I heard it, but I'm like, it's not. She's my little preaching buddy over here. <laughs> all right, let's say it again. So we can't confuse joy with a feeling. Say this all the time in the realm of forgiveness. You can choose, make a decision to forgive someone, but that doesn't always negate the feelings of the situation. Right? But when those feelings arise, what do you have to do if you're walking in forgiveness? You make a decision to say, well, I know I still feel like I want to punch him in the mouth, or I, I know I still feel like I want to cuss him out, or I know all of those things, but, 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 but three days ago I made a decision that I was going to forgive them. So therefore, I'm overriding the feelings, and I'm going to remind myself that I forgave that person because it's not based off my feelings. Forgiveness has never been about a feeling. It's about a decision. I won't trash you. I won't down talk you. I won't drag you through the mud even though I want to, even though I know all your deepest secrets. I've, I'm going to rise above that situation because I've chosen to forgive. So the same principle is true when it comes to joy. Every area of my life may not be perfect. There could be a lot of undone things. I may not know how it's all going to come together. But what I can do in the moment is I can say, although I have feelings of sadness, I have feelings of depression, I have feelings that would say to me, yeah, you're not living in reality right now. I make a decision to say no, like David did. Why so cast down, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your praise in God. Put your joy, your confidence, your peace back on God because that's where it belongs. So spiritual warfare looks a lot more like telling yourself no, laugh. No, smile. I don't feel like it. I don't care. I'm in battle. I'm in the thick of it. I've got armies raging on every side. I've got reports. I, I, I've got bad news. I, I have circumstances. Now's not the time for me to sit back and just open my ears to allow the devil to speak any depressing word he wants into me. 
Now's not the time to allow my emotions to dictate my behavior. Now's not the time to sit back and just say, well, I'm going to feel it because I'm just living in the reality of what's going on. No, no, no. Now's the time to stand up, push my plate back from the table of depression, and say, I choose to have joy because joy is the weapon of my warfare. Joy will produce the strength of God that I need to sustain the battles in my life. I don't know about you, but pity parties to me feel real good. (laughs) Anybody else, can you relate to that? Why? Because it's petting your flesh. It's feeding your flesh what you've been wanting somebody to tell you for a long time. (laughs) I feel so bad for you. I know, right? (laughs) You got a lot going on. I know. Tell me about like, let's, you know, and that's what we want. Why? Because it feels good in the moment. But how many of you know that gets you nowhere? doesn't produce anything good in your life. Sometimes the greatest thing a friend can do when they see you walking through the battle is to bring joy. I'll get into this a little bit later, but there are some tangible things that I think are so small and tangible and not spiritual, but I think they're powerful weapons. Go see a comedy. But it's not scripture. So? It's going to make you laugh. It's going to get your mind out of the gutter where it's been hanging. Go take them for coffee and talk about anything else but the problem. Come on, somebody. Go on a vacation with your family right in the middle of all chaos and hell breaking loose. Why would they do that? Why? Because everything inside says, no, stay, grip, 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 grip. Don't you dare. Don't you back up. No, no, no. I'm gripping to joy. Because either God's got it or he doesn't. Either he's on the throne or he's not. Either I'm in his favor and he's working on my behalf or he's not. And if I know that he is, then I have nothing to worry about. I know what it says. I know what it looks like. I know what the report. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. But in spite of it, I'm going to choose joy. All right. So we can't confuse joy with a feeling. Feelings are fickle. Feelings go up. They go down. Feelings are out of control. Feelings can be based on your sugar intake. Feelings can be based... I'm telling you where I'm living. Feelings can be based on your sugar intake. Feelings can be based of what you just watched on the television set. Feelings can be based off of what people have told you. Feelings can be based on whether the blinds are open in your house and you have sunlight coming through or not. Do you know, I'm, I'm a, when I go through a situation, I'm going to open every window. I want the blinds. I need light. I need brightness. Can I tell you, for me, that's spiritual warfare. Why? Because every part of me would say, let's, let's retreat into darkness. Let's back down, let's close off, let's shelter in place. But there's something about walking up to the window and opening that blind and letting the sunlight come in through. All right. Not everybody's like that. but So don't confuse joy with a feeling, at least not right away. I think it gets there when you make that decision. I think the same thing is true in forgiveness. Eventually, when you... Keep telling yourself, I forgave, I forgave, I forgave, I forgave. I do believe that eventually the feelings of forgiveness will catch up to the decision of forgiveness. And the same with joy. I believe that joy eventually will catch up to the decision to live in joy. So the Israelites decided to celebrate victory. While everything still looked, still felt, and still sounded very bad for them. But they took a step of faith to celebrate before they saw victory. Celebrate with rich foods, Nehemiah tells them. Sweet drinks. Give gifts of food. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that. So this celebration for them was a huge step of faith. Huge step of faith. Your celebration will be a step of faith. You choosing joy many times is a massive step of faith. But when we are obedient to take that step of faith, to choose joy... I believe that's when we see victory 
That's when we see God's faithfulness over our situations. And God was faithful to them, and he overtook their problem, and he delivered them from their depression that they were paralyzed with, and he gave them the strength that they needed to go on and rebuild the walls. Why? Because first, they made a decision that I will walk in joy. We have to get this. I know we're, we're, you know, understand spiritual warfare and we live in two dimensions and I get that we are intense and following Jesus is really intense sometimes and I, I get all of that. But I think one of the biggest things we are missing as the body of Christ at large is joy. We worship our way through the intensity. We know how to press in. We know how to growl in the spirit, all of these things, but we don't know simply how to laugh. I heard a story of a preacher who his secretary ran into him and said, Pastor, we've got a problem. We're completely out of money. And he looked at the secretary and said, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, there's just no money left. Gone. And of course, the pastor's initial reaction was one of disappointment and unbelief and worry. And he you know, questioned the secretary, how can this be? How, what, are you, what are you talking about? So as he did what I would do and many of us do, he went to God and began to complain to God. What's wrong with you? What, where's the money? We're, we're doing your work. We're, we're doing what you've called us to do. Why are you not keeping up your end of the bargain? What are we going to do, God? And in comes the intensity of, of, uh, you know, of the situation. Well, what, what, what do we need to do? How do we begin to get funds? And you know all the stuff that we try to process too, through. So he goes to God, and God simply responds to him and says, I want you to laugh. And the pastor in his intensity of spiritual warfare and, you know, calling every prayer intercessor and letting them know that we are under attack of the devil and he's trying to take our ministry, responds to God and says, well, it's not funny. <laughs> it's not a laughing matter and I don't feel like laughing about it. And he said, God told him to just say, ha. So he says, ha. And God says, no, I want you to do it again. So the pastor responds and goes, ha, ha. Finally, the pastor was obedient to the Lord, and he just kept walking around going, ha-ha, 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 ha-ha. So many times that eventually something on the inside of him broke and changed. Doesn't mean there was money in the bank account that very moment. But God's joy shifted his attitude from what are we going to do to one of, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. You know, the joy of the Lord brought him deliverance, and it was unusual the way God brought it, but that's what we're talking about, unusual weapons of warfare. Even God takes his own advice. Listen to Psalms, Psalms 37, 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day coming. What is, he, what is he saying? He's saying that he sees the schemes and the plans of the enemy. He sees the, the plot line of our adversaries. And he laughs because to him, what they're doing is like child's play compared to the magnitude of his might. So he sees their scheming. He sees their warfare. And God simply sits back and begins to laugh. Ha ha. Ha ha. You think that's going to work? I've got my people covered. I've got a shield of protection around about them. You can't get nothing through me. Give them all you got because greater is he that's in me. Greater is he that's around them. Greater are the, uh, the, the angels of our, the heavenly armies around them than anything the enemy can do. Come on, somebody. So he laughs because he looks at their best efforts and he says they're like tinker toys in a tornado. The slightest whisper of God's breath blows over. The plans of our adversary. So I want to encourage you this morning. Whatever situation you're facing right now. Whether it's emotional or psychological or physical. Celebrate now. Choose joy now. 
Listen, and if you don't have circumstances to celebrate, celebrate God. I'm pretty sure you can find something to celebrate in your circumstance. But if it's not coming to you, then you just walk around and you start celebrating God. I thank you for how great you are. I thank you for how magnificent you are. I thank you that you are on my, and you just begin to celebrate and choose joy. You're, you're, you're telling your body, you're telling your mind, you're telling your spirit, you're telling your emotions. Come on now, come on, God's on the throne. He's not forget, forgot about me. He knows my name. Look at all that he's brought me through thus far. I should have been gone a long time ago, but I'm still standing. And he didn't bring me through all of that to leave me now. So I'm gonna choose to celebrate God. And here's the thing, you're not expected to produce the joy yourself. This isn't about mustering up a feeling. This is God's joy from his victory that's based on his character that manifests in you simply because you celebrate who he is. We're seeing it. He's a way maker, a promise keeper. But don't forget the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. So why are we so uptight? Why are we approaching this thing so intently? Like, intent, like all we got to do is celebrate. All we got to do is worship. I mean, even look at the Israelites. Everything that they did, all that they walked through, the Red Sea, none of it could have been done in their own strength. The walls of Jericho falling down. It wasn't because when they shouted, it was like they have, you know, they trained for this shout. Like, no, it was simply just walking in obedience to whatever God told him to do. And he did the hard work. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned Pharaoh and his armies. He's the one who made the walls fall down. He's the one who gave them the promised land. All he says is, will you just quit mumbling and complaining and just start rejoicing that I'm sending you out of bondage and into the promised land? I mean, really, it's like 400 years in captivity, and you finally get out, and all you can do is complain about the circumstances and complain about the food. And you, like, for real? So much so that they said, let's just go back. Do you see how important joy is? I mean, 400 years of bondage. I'd be spinning and rejoicing and shouting and doing cartwheels through that desert like there's no tomorrow. 400 years and I'm finally free. But we do it all the time. Oh, yeah, he brought me out of some stuff, but, you know, it's, it's still a journey. It's still hard. I'm... Waiting for the manifestation of it all. But he brought you out of something, right? I mean, he delivered you from something, right? I mean, if he never did another thing for you on this people planet and you die tomorrow in the current situation that you are in, you will spend eternity in heaven with God on streets of gold in a mansion. There will be a day where he comes back and rules and reign on this people planet and you will return with him, never to be tempted, never to be sinned, secure in who you are and your identity in Christ. So if nothing else ever changes in your life, you've got a reason to choose joy. You've got a reason to celebrate. You've got a a reason to stand and lift up your hands and walk through your house and praise God and be happy regardless of your job situation. Come on. Nothing compares to what God can do. So your joy is the source of your strength and will be the source of your deliverance. Proverbs 17:22 A joyful heart is good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bone. Now, did a very deep theological study on that verse that says a joyful heart is good medicine. I went deep. It's been hours. Every commentary I could find. And do you know what it means? It means joy is good medicine. There's, there's no side note meaning. It means, yep, joy is good medicine. And a crushed spirit dries up the bone. Man, I just want us to get this. Yes. So if the enemy can keep us crushed, surrounded by negative thoughts, surrounded by wrong thinking, surrounded with the heaviness of the situation, 
I'm all about, listen, I'm all about knowing your politics, being involved in your politics. I'm all about knowing what's going on in the world. As a citizen of heaven, we are ambassadors into this world, and we should vote. We should do all of that. But there has to come a point where you do have to turn off the the 24-7 news feed that's feeding into your mind and your home. Because one of the assignments of the enemy is if I can crush their spirit, if I can make them see that there's war on every side and every school district is up in arms. And, you know, every time I turn around, there's another weird law. And it just seems like the whole world is going chaos. What, What will begin to happen is your spirit will begin to get crushed by the weight of all of that negative negativity and that bad news. And at some point, you got to turn it off and you got to say, all right, I'm going to choose joy. I got to put some worship on. I got I to remind myself how great our God is. I got to remind myself that we have the gospel. We have the key to eternal life and hope and destiny. We are the hope of the world. I got to go let my light shine. And I can't do that if my spirit is crushed. So I got to protect the atmosphere of my home. I got to protect the atmosphere of my car. I got to protect the atmosphere all around me that I I can only allow so much negativity because I have to stay in joy. Why? It's a good medicine. Finally, one last story. Very familiar story to many of us, but goes back to King David. And David was so hungry to have the presence of God brought back in Jerusalem. And at this point in history, it's before Jesus ascended up into heaven and sent down the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God didn't dwell on the inside of us like it does now. It was housed in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And no human person could touch that because it was the very tangible presence of God. So anytime somebody would touch that and there was any type of sin in their life, they would just fall over dead. There's just another reason to praise because we stood in this room this morning and lifted our hands. And the Bible says that when we come together and worship, that God literally inhabits and comes into the space where we are when we begin to praise him and I don't know what you did last night and I don't know what you did all week but I'm pretty sure if you searched you could find some sin in it somewhere but because you're still sitting here with breath in your lungs just shove your neighbor and make sure they still have some breath in their lungs if they do you have another reason to celebrate because it's just a testimony to the goodness of God that he overtook the law crushed the law so that we could stand in our sinful sick state and he said you would still feel my presence you could still come into the holy of holies you could still be where i am and i can be where you are so david wanted the presence back in jerusalem he he wanted the ark brought back but they had a problem they tried to bring the ark back in and they they put it on a cart and when the cart went to tip one of the people guiding the cart touched it and fell over dead and i had a problem with that scripture and i think i still do a little bit because i'm like come on god and the man was trying to help you out like you have a host of angels they could have propped the thing up and the guy just reaches out to hold up the ark and you strike him dead it's just like but he's god i'm not you know <laughs> that guy's got to an answer in heaven and the Lord has to talk to him about it. Anyway, but that's not the point of my sermon. The point of my sermon is David wanted the presence back. They wanted the ark back. So because they failed before, finally they decide, you know what, let's open up the manual on this thing and find out what God really said about how to do this. And what they found out is they should have never put the ark on a cart. Because listen, God never puts his presence on a man-manufactured thing. He only entrusts his presence to what he creates. And the original instruction was that the priests would bear the ark on their shoulders and carry it. So know that the presence is never attached to a thing. It's not attached to an organization. It's not attached to a church name or a brand. The presence of God is always attached to people. That's why you should never allow yourself to be so pulled away and and so distraught and so pulled back that you close people off. Because the Bible says that everything you're going to get from God, you're going to get from people. Listen, give and it shall be given unto you. Great. How's he going to do it? Pressed down, shaking together, running over men. People will give back to you. The anointing that you need to break you through in your life isn't attached to a church, isn't attached to a building, isn't attached to a brand or a name. It is attached to the people in the house. 
That's why I told you last week, it is so important that you are connected to a church, whether it's this church or any other church, that knows how to get the presence of God. The, the worst thing that we could do for you is to put on a program and push you through 45 minutes of church and send you out the door and hope that you were entertained and remembered some of my words. That is the worst thing we could do. But what the best thing that we could do is know how to rend the heavens over a place and pray when crisis hits your life and to worship until heaven invades the space, right? Because what we need is the presence of God in the room. So God will never put his anointing on a machine that we make. His presence is always on people. So if he can get you to live in depression and pull away from, from people, come on. Joy is a weapon. What you need to do is you need to get some of your friends together, go out for coffee, go out to the shooting range, guys, go out, ride a motorcycle, do something. That's spiritual warfare? Uh-huh. Because what I want to do is I want to go close every blind in my house and lay under the covers and not talk to anybody or do anything and wallow in my own sorrow. But that's not going to produce for me. So what I need to do is understand that the anointing and the breakthrough is always resting on people. So I need to get up from the bed, open the blinds, and find some brothers and sisters who say, listen, can we bake together? Can we, I don't know, knit together? Why? Because joy produces breakthrough. People in your life will produce breakthrough. Relationships produce breakthrough. Well, pastor, I'm not seeing it. Then check your circle of friends. If all they're doing is rehearsing how bad and negative you have it and stroking your pity party, they might be good people, but they're not helping you. They just don't got a revelation that that's the last thing I need right now. So David wants the ark back. He wants the presence back. They realize that they did it wrong. They tried to put the presence of God on an organization and thought that that would produce it. They realized it was always meant to be on the back of the priest. The people carry the presence of God. So the ark is now being carried back into Jerusalem. And David is so excited about this. that Your Bible says he takes off his kingly robes and he strips down to pretty much his undergarment, and he begins to dance wildly in the street because he is so overjoyed that the presence is coming back. It's the crowning achievement of his reign. There's nothing else that he would want more than to have the presence of God back in Jerusalem, back in the temple where it belonged. He's rejoicing because it's working. The last guy died. It's actually happening this time. So he's giving God this offering, this celebration of praise by rejoicing wildly before God. And they do this for miles. They do this for miles. What's interesting is that his wife is in the palace and she watches him from the window of the palace. And that's really weird because the Bible actually says all of Israel was there. All of Israel was there. So you would certainly think, think that David's wife would be among the chief guests. She wasn't. I'm not going to, I mean, I could speculate why, but I think it boils down to the reason that she didn't value the presence of God the same way that David did. So she watches from the window of the palace. Her name was Michael. And what I think is interesting about that is worship always seems strange to those on the outside of it. Worship always seems strange when you're on the outside. So just expect it. Don't expect everybody to get what you're doing. Don't expect everybody to understand why you prioritize worship in your own personal life. Don't expect everyone to understand why you, you prioritize being in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. They won't understand it, and I don't need them to understand it because it always looks off from the outside. But when you're in it, Come on, somebody. So after this grand celebration, David comes home and his wife has some issues. 
Now, I had wanted to insert a joke here, but I decided not to. <laughs> so David returns after the celebration, and he wants to bless his household. Now, Michael is the daughter of Saul, and she comes out to him, and she says, how glorious was the king of Israel today? This is sarcasm on steroids. What she's trying to do is undermine her husband. She says, how glorious was the king today, uncovering himself in the eyes of his maids. Shamelessly, ruthlessly, worshiping God. So David responds, and I don't suggest this, but his response had a little sting in it of himself. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his household. A little dig at her dad. So David continues on and says, therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And he says, listen, Michael, I will be even more undignified than this. I'll get more crazy. I'll get more wild. You think dancing miles through the streets in my underwear is something. You just wait. You just wait to what God does through me. You just wait. It's going to get wild. But the Bible verse goes on and it says, therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, and here's, here's why I brought this whole story in, had no children to the day of her death. She had no children to the day of her death. I want you to see that in contrast to another verse of scripture that says, shout for joy. Everybody, shout for joy. Shout for joy. Oh, barren one. And you'll be moved into a fruit-bearing cycle that will surpass those who are years ahead of you. So here we have two bookends. We have Michael who looks at David shouting and celebrating and rejoicing and begins to mock it. And God says to her, you will produce nothing for the rest of your life, though you have the ability to produce. On the opposite end, he says to the barren one who has no ability to produce, no ability in their own strength. He says to you who are barren, shout for joy. Why? Because you will produce in your lifetime more than those who are years ahead of you. What is, what is the differing factor here? Joy. One is staring out the window, refusing to be a part of this celebration, scoffing at those who would dare to celebrate and act crazy and act like a fool because the presence of God is there. But he looks at the barren one and he says, if you're barren and you're not producing and you're not getting victory in your life, for you, shout for joy. It will produce something in your life. Oh, I wish I had a good church in here this morning to shout me down. Come on, somebody. Shouting for joy will push you into a cycle of producing in your life. Worship is not something that should be contained to nice civil packages. It's just when we see God for who he is. It's when we give offerings of joy and celebration, even before our circumstances have changed. And what he's actually saying is the people that choose to live that way, they become those who change their circumstance. If you're barren, choose joy and you'll change your circumstance. If you have the ability to change your circumstance and you have strength in your own might, but you do not choose joy and you choose to live negative and you choose to scoff and you choose to mock what God's doing, be careful because it'll dry up the bones like the scripture says. It'll cause you to enter a season of life where you just can't produce nothing that in your life works. Negative people, come on, nothing in their life works. Why? It stops production. It stops, it dries up the bone, it stops production. 
Lastly, and team, you can come. When you and I, when you and I were born again, one of the greatest things that happened to us is the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit took up residence in us. And the Holy Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. Inside out. So after we're saved, our relationships begin to improve. After we're saved, our work ethic should improve. After we're saved, the way we love our neighbor and care for people around us and how we give ourselves to practical service, all of that should improve. How we move in generosity and all of that stuff increases once the Holy Spirit takes residence in us. In other words, it all happens from the inside out. Jesus put it this way. He said, the kingdom of God is within you, which means all the kingdom issues are heart issues. The kingdom of God is in you. And all kingdom issues are heart issues. So here's what I want you to understand. It's for the believer. It's monitoring our inner world and watching how it reshapes our outer world. Let me prove it to you in scripture. 3 John 2. Uh, 3 John 1 verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So listen, it says that you may prosper, which means that things will be good with your money, that you would be in good health, which is your physical condition, but in direct correlation with your inner man with how your soul is prospering. So what he's doing, he's announcing that your inner world will actually begin to affect your money, your income, your health, your view on life, your relationships. All of that will be affected by what's happening in here. So that's why when the Bible says laughter is a good medicine, he's saying laughter will affect in here. And it will affect your money, it'll affect your relationships, it will affect your health, it'll affect everything in your world. So spiritual warfare is choosing to laugh. I told you before, there was a, a lady who was going through a health crisis and the doctors had given her a bad report. And I went over to see her and she had a coloring book on her bed and cartoons on the TV. And I thought, Phew. I don't know what medicine she's on, but I said, what are you doing? She said, I can't do anything about the report. Can't do anything about when they're starting chemo. I can't do anything about how it will affect my body, my hair. I can't do any of that. But what God told me to do is surround myself with joy. So I like to color. And this is back before like the, the adult coloring books became a thing again. So she started coloring cartoon pictures in kids' coloring books and would let nothing on her television set besides comedies. And they weren't all Christian, like, spiritualists either. <laughs> Things that made her laugh. And I still think of that all the time because I'm so amazed that in the presence of a bad report, in the presence of what would end up being a literal death sentence, this person decided, I'm going to choose joy can't change circumstance, but I can choose joy. After that person laughed, I actually had a dream about them. And in that dream, I was on a bus with them and the bus stopped and they were getting off. And I remember in the dream, I began to feel panic and the, 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 the lady came around to the side window of the bus and she breathed on it. You know how it fogs up? And she wrote, today belongs to you. Don't forget to laugh. And I thought to my, I woke up from the dream and I thought, well, that's weird. You know, I must have read that on a card. I must have. So I go to the internet. I'm searching. Nowhere. It wasn't a quote. It's a literal word from the Lord. That person was my mama. And I often think about that because one of the last things that the Lord allowed her to speak to me in this dream 
was today belongs to you. Don't forget to laugh. So I submit that to you today. Maybe you can't change tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow you're going to have less money in your bank than you do today. Maybe the health report isn't going to turn around in 24 hours. But fight a good warfare. Refuse to be dismayed. Refuse to be pressed down. Choose joy. And choose it wisely. Today belongs to you. And don't you dare forget to laugh through it. So I want to ask you to do some real practical stuff today. If you have marriage problems. And you and your spouse are on the outs. And you don't know how to build back. There's a journey that's going to be there. It's not going to be overnight. But I'm going to ask you to choose joy. Even in uncertainty of how they will respond, choose joy. Choose happiness. Do things that make you as a couple laugh. I was talking with a couple last week who were going through hell and, you know, it seemed like warfare raging on every side. And I said, listen, they said, we're, we're getting ready to go away on a vacation. Go, go running. You mean you're going to tell them not to come to church for two weeks because they're going to go on vacation? Yep, because the greatest thing that they could do in warfare in this moment is to gather themselves as a family, rejoice, laugh, break bread, have a good time, celebrate what God's doing, and silence the voice of the enemy that they can't stop the circumstance anyway. Are you with me? So what I'm asking you to do is if you have a health problem, rejoice, choose joy. Choose joy. God would never ask you to do something and then not empower you to do it. That's why he said in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always and again and again and again. I say to you, rejoice. He wouldn't call us to do it if he wouldn't back it up with his power and provision to see us through. Come on, stand on your feet. I know I'm preaching long today, but this is good. This is practical warfare. This isn't, you know, some deep spiritual thing chasing down devils. This is, I'll defeat you with a laugh. Ha <laughs> ha. No money in the bank. Ha <laughs> ha. Doctor said, you're going to die and not live. Ha <laughs> ha. Your kids, it looks like they're never going to turn around. Ha <laughs> ha. Come on, we should be laughing in the face of our adversary every day when it just seems like it's getting worse and worse. I need some people who will gather around and say, ha ha, ha ha. Ha ha, ha ha, come on God, choose joy. Ha ha, the devil thinks that's going to work, that's going to take me out. Ha ha, even if it does, I will leave this world and walk into his glory laughing because even in the end, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where's your victory? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I say ha ha to every plan of every adversary. I say ha ha to every devil of hell that tries to come against me and come against this house because it will not stand. It will not work. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Shout amen.